Welcome to the In The Money Players podcast. This is the Friday, October 27th edition. It is the also the happy birthday Alessandra Tamaro edition. Four years old already. Talk about time flying. I'm going to get this done, luckily, before we start the birthday festivities. And without further ado, we're going to get right into it. I've got two Breeders' Cup betting challenge winners coming up on this card. This, of course, is Nick Tamaro deputizing for Peter Thomas Fornital, who's a little too busy to have all this fun. So he's certainly been very kind and generous in letting me do so. We've got Marshall Graham and Drew Coney coming up later to talk about Keeneland and Woodvine, respectively. Klaus Ebner will be along to talk about Japan racing. We'll also have a Breeders' Crown segment. But first up, we have a Naira segment on Saturday's Pick 6. And, you know, before I introduce my dear friend and, of course, uh, New York Racing Association track handicap, Randy Serling, I think too many people probably think that Andy eats, lives, and sleeps horse racing, but he is also a very uh, avid reader, a very learned man, a very cultured man, and a very big NBA fan. So in the spirit of it being opening week of the NBA, who is must-see TV for you right now in the NBA, Andy? Oh, I don't know. That's a good question. I have the the Bucks-Sixers game on now. You know who's must-not-see TV? James Harden. He's making it very easy. I mean... I get it, but he's really like the worst of the worst, isn't he? Maybe I'm just sort of more jaded because of his BS with the Nets, but he just seems like, what's he making? Oh, poor guy's only making $35 million a year. It's a tragedy how he's making it. You know, I think there's so much good stuff going on. I, I really do. I think there's just like a lot of really good teams and good players out there. I'm looking forward to seeing some of the rookies play. I'm kind of excited by the by – the, um, the Thunder, even though they're obviously not going to be an upper echelon team. But I think they have a chance to be a really good up-and-coming team with a lot of good it's young guys. It's an accomplishment when in your first game of the season you force your opponent into a players-only meeting afterwards, right? I think they're going to be very good. I don't bet team totals. I meant to bet over on them, you know, because I really feel like they're going to have a good season. If they can, You know, like everybody, they can stay healthy because it feels like, um, what's his name, the, the rookie that got hurt last year could be a real player. Yeah. And it's not like they weren't a team that was on the cusp being good, but I think the NBA has been great. So, yeah, good I movies. think uh, it's I think, good stuff. Yeah, I think Wembenyama is going to be exciting. Obviously, that was a good game last night between the uh, the Spurs and Mavs, and Luca looked good. He's a little tough for me to root for, but he's still a very very good player. So yeah, exciting root time. For root for his his backcourt mate. I can't root for that guy. I mean, yeah, I, I don't, I don't, <laughs> I don't know exactly who could root for that guy, but it is not anybody that I know. Left, yeah, it's hard to believe. Yeah, that's that's a fact. So, well, we've got a uh, actually a really good weekend of racing uh, at at Aqueduct for the Belmont at the Big A meet. We finally got some good weather. You and I were talking about this earlier in the week. It seems like it uh, hopefully finally broke for what could be a few really good weeks of racing because in general the November racing at Aqueduct is among the best of the entire calendar. So it sure is nice to not have to worry about a Saturday card that might be hit with rain and, and all kinds of other issues. Yeah. And I mean, listen, I, I'd like it to be unbelievable if we could sort of get through a month without any bad weather, because we, we've lost so many days in the turf. And I think we were worried that we wouldn't really be able to race in the turf past the middle of November, but given all the time we've lost, if the weather turns, turns good. You know, I think we, we will be able to race through the month on the turf. So that would be nice. Maybe, make up for some of the lost uh, dates. But for now, we'll be happy with one nice weekend. 
No question about it. Well, let's get into this pick six, pick six sequence, excuse me, that begins in race number six at 2.44 Eastern time. $50,000 starter allowance runners at a mile on the inner turf to get things started. And a friend of the public's, but not much of a friend, really, don't mess with Tess, who seems to get bet like crazy every time she runs, is in as the morning line favorite at three to one. This does not feel like a horse that you're going to be looking to make a big bet on. No, but I'm actually not picking against her. I, I think she ran very well last time. I mean, if she didn't get left and didn't make a ridiculous wide middle move, I, I think she probably would would have been very close to winning. And I say that having actually liked the horse who won the race, I, I I don't know the argument that she didn't run better than anybody else coming out of the race. I mean, certainly Miss Christie did no significant running. Miss Creant did no significant running in there. I guess Diamond Status ran fine, to be honest. I have trouble believing in Diamond Status, but obviously she ran well enough that I wouldn't completely dismiss her. But but of that mess, I don't I don't really want anybody besides them. I mean, am I supposed to? No, not really. And I mean I think this the September third, the eighth race in September third is a great case in point for um, obviously you're a you're a longtime trip handicapper, you're somebody that um, I will readily admit taught me a great deal about watching races, watching races in terms of how they unfold, how they're run, et cetera, et cetera. And um, I mean, I think the the biggest mistake somebody could make in looking at this race is see don't mess with Tess's running line, juxtapose it against the other three horses coming out of there and just assume that she ran worse because she finished worse. I mean, I thought that Miss Christie of the four horses coming out of there was definitely the one you wanted the least. I know yeah. she made up the most ground. Diamond status was at least somewhat close to the pace. Yeah. It was a little inside early, but she got off the inside pretty quickly. And um, and then it ended up making kind of just a garbage time move. She made to me kind of the classic move of a horse that probably doesn't want to go that far and and just kind of ran for a spurt and then stopped. I think the thing about that race that annoyed me the most, and it's a little bit of an aside, but up her sleeve, who was all over the inside the entire way, actually came back and won her next start at Laurel at almost 11 to 1. And I did not notice that, but that's something entirely different. So but this was the point when you thought the rail was bad, was it? September. It, was, it was right at the tail end of it. It was not nearly as bad the closing weekend as it was a week before. So, no. I mean, the majority of horses that ran on the day after the Travers and then the Wednesday and Thursday of Travers, day after Travers, Wednesday, Thursday of that week, it felt like when it was at, at its worst. As they went over the course a little bit more, it became um, a little a little less apparent to me. Um, I picked Diamond Status. I thought she ran well enough last time just in the context of the race because of the way it came apart, but she's a tough horse to trust. I mean, she's one for 15 for a reason. And, um, and so I'm not going to, I wouldn't really go out of my way to talk somebody into betting. Well, well, let me ask you a question. Aren't we supposed to look at horses not from that race? Yes. Aren't we supposed to look at Thundara who, I mean, ran pretty well from a far outside post. And I understand she had Irad and she has Katie Davis, but I thought she ran fine in that race, even though they aren't that good. And yes, she shouldn't have won. Arasima should have won the race. But she still ran respectably enough that she could improve and get there. And she had no chance in her next start. So I don't want to totally hold that race against her. I, I, I thought, and what about L.A. Fort? I mean, are you so sure that she just can't run it all anymore? Granted, she was bad last time. Ray Handel has awful numbers off the claim on the turf. Numbers off the claim from Ian Wilkes are not particularly good, but this is a horse that one for 17 or not, she's got a plethora of races that are just faster than these. Are you just completely dismissive of her? No, I think the the initial hesitation is you wonder if she might be better going a little bit longer, 
But it is interesting that Ray, yeah, that he would choose a mile and protecting her from the tag in order to kind of get a sense of what what he has. The other thing is that, I mean, he knew even claiming her in in mid-August, not knowing that, you know, there was going to be a tropical storm every week. He wasn't going to have that many opportunities to run her. So he he obviously had designs on her being a horse that could maybe win a starter allowance and or a one other than. I think she's very dangerous. I mean, like you said, she has running lines with horses' names in them that would absolutely bury everybody in this field. And why are we sure she wants more distance? Her mile race at Indiana is fast enough to win here. Agreed. I just feel like she's, you know, I'm not in love with her chances, but I mean, I think, are we really supposed to fall in love with horses out of that September 3rd race? Or maybe we're supposed to look at horses not from it. I'm not a big fan of Miss San Gabriel. And she obviously had a soft trip when she won. Hmm, Tappet's fly and come back and meet a worse field. But I think both Thundara and, and Elliot Ford are both usable here. Yeah, I agree completely. I mean, Miss San Gabriel, what she has going for her is she'll probably be on the lead. I don't know if that really right. matter. Because she did, as you said, she had an awfully soft trip when she was victorious, too bad. Fun way to get the sequence started, no doubt about it. That is race number six, on to race seven, which kicks off the late pick five. This is a one other then where uh, you have, obviously, a prohibitive favorite in number five, Redistricting, who was an incredibly impressive debut winner. Strong enough in there to end up going in the Belmont Derby. And uh, I will admit, I'd watched it a number of times. I'd not really watched it paying all that much attention to redistricting. And in watching the Belmont Derby replay handicapping this card, I did not realize he actually ran very well. And uh, he was one of he was one of two Chad Brown horses that got ballooned outside the entire way when there was clearly a big advantage to being inside. I mean, he looks like an absolute cinch in here, right? I would say, and I realized some of it was the post position, that might have been Pratt's worst ride in New York last year. He had definitely aggressively got as wide as he could be, which I I took personal exception to. I wasn't in that day because I said to Chad Brown, just tell Flavian to try to find a way to save some ground at some point because the rails just come down. And not that, you know, my opinion is the be all and end all, but it was particularly disheartening to see him out in the middle of the race. I mean, he was out in no, no man's land most of the race. So I actually don't think he ran badly in there at all, and I agree with you. I don't see any reason to try to beat him in here, and I don't see a single horse in here that rates to beat him. Yeah, I I, um, I thought the other horse that was worth maybe a, a brief mention is the 10 Capture the Flag, who made his first debut last time, and, and I think it was another one of those scenarios where Jose Ortiz left his mount a little too much to do. That being said, I mean, he didn't get Fredo for second. The winner ran off the screen. And um, it was not nearly a good enough performance to think that that he could put a scare into the likes of redistricting if we see anything close to the debut version of redistricting. And I have no reason to think we won't, even coming off the layoff. I watched his last race specifically because you did not like the ride that Jose gave him. And I disagree with you. Um, Yeah, I don't like that Jose is taking horses back more than he used to. I won't disagree with that. But that was a fair enough pace. And I think what Jose was really trying to do around the second turn was not go three or four wide and save ground. And in doing so, he did a very good job of cutting the corner. And I think the more you look at it overall, I actually thought he gave him a pretty good ride. And what trip exactly you see Junior giving this horse from post 10? It's not like he's a rider that's looking to be more forward on horses. Yeah, I agree. And and actually, I think in, in watching his race back again, um, I was probably a tad too critical. Sure. 
Um, I just I felt like if he could have, have maybe tried to follow, I'm very busy, a little more aggressively to get a little closer with about a half mile to go. I also think that if Capture the Flag has any success long term, I think it's actually going to be at 10 plus furlongs. I agree. I wonder if he's a horse will be better going longer. And I also don't see any reason I would try to beat beat uh, the favor with him. Yeah, War Flag, of course, I mean, won the Flower Bowl back in 2017 over Decida, who was a very underrated horse to see. Is it, isn't the other horse near Ramblin' Wreck, who wasn't an 11 furlong horse and was put in a stupid spot last time, and that very stupidly by people? Yeah, first time license. First time, me, horse. Three to, three to four times the price that you did last time in a, in a right. far more winnable spot. Yeah, um, I say that knowing that redistricting is a heavy favorite, but I still think it's a more winnable spot than the spot he was in last time. He had no chance whatsoever. Um, I agree. I thought I, I I picked him third. I don't I don't have any argument. I could have easily I picked him second. Yeah. yeah, pretty simple way to get the pick five started. Let's go to race eight. The mother goose repositioned on the calendar and uh, looks like a good decision based on the long term prospects of some of the runners in here, including the likely pretty heavy post time favorite. Uh, Zijera, I meant to listen to Travis Stone's pronunciation. Um, he called her dead room. Sorry. It was a joke. I said oh, he called her dead room. Yeah. <laughs> Hilarious. Um, I'll tell you what, whatever you want to call her, she beat the tar out of that field last time. I agree. And, and she is the likeliest winner of that race. But I want to see her do it against A, a faster horse early, an undervalued asset, and be a legitimate horse in the likes of a colt at the very least. And, you know, she beat up on relative tomato cans last time out. And she beat him like a drum. And it turns out that Phil Bauer was right to run the Alcibiades. The only mistake he made was not going to the Breeders' Cup in her next star of the dirt because she would have done a lot better than she did in the turf. Now maybe she just went the wrong way. It didn't really matter. But the reality is that she's obviously a dirt horse. But I think the pace is going to be honest enough. And I don't have a big argument against a colt. And I think a colt last time out, it was a mistake by Irad that wasn't his fault. When, if you watch him, it really feels like he wanted to follow Pretty Mischievous, which seems like the right thing to do, especially because it was pretty reasonable to expect that Pretty Mischievous would be reasonably forward, even though we knew she wouldn't be that close to Ceiling Crusher. <coughs> she ended up getting shuffled back out of the race early, and because of that... <coughs> <clears throat> a Cole got shuffled back more. Now, listen, she still couldn't catch Pretty Mischievous, but I think she ended up getting farther behind in a race that was one wire to wire by arguably a horse that probably should have been favored. Um, and I think it kind of took her out of the game a little bit too much. And now we have more of a pace, and I just don't see her being that far behind. I don't see any reason that a Colt can't win this race. And while the Jair is the horse to beat, this is a real step up in company for her. So I actually picked a Colt as just a better value play. I don't have any problem with Zajera, except these are much better horses than she faced last time. And I also think that the horse that has to be discussed is Julia Shining, because she ran okay in the Sun Coast and she ran okay in the Ashland. And then she disappeared, and then they found, it's almost like they had a meeting and said, hey, what's the stupidest spot we could bring her back in? And somebody said, well, if you really want to be an idiot, you could run her in the, Diana, in the Alabama. And they said, oh, okay. And they did. But I don't want to completely condemn her. Maybe she can't run anymore, but that was a preposterous spot off a five-and-a-half-month layoff, and this is a more realistic spot. And are we so sure she can't? T she still can't run? That's the question, right? I mean, it, it, I saw her on the overnight for this race, and I thought to myself, why? 
you know, I, I just, I, I guess. They're going to breed her next. So either they're going to retire her or they're going to give her at least a chance in a race that she has a chance to be effective in. Right. Not and they're the of August in Saratoga. I mean, that was dumb. Right. They're not worried about value or anything like that. She's going to be, she's going to be bred by Stone Street. So right. I, mean, I assume she's, she's got to be doing well. So yeah, I mean. I mean, she's probably not doing terribly. I, I don't know, but. If she pays $15 and wins here, I can see the people going, gee, uh, maybe I could have used her at that price. Yeah, and then Javier will probably be needing somebody to tie his shoes because the way she gets ridden, it's going to be quite a quite an effort. From And we'll see maybe if she's not. Well, maybe maybe he won't ride her like Luis rides her. And, you know, is she a horse needs to be ridden or is that the way Luis rides a lot of horses? And I don't mean that as a criticism of Luis, who so obviously wins a lot of races. But maybe she just relaxes a little bit and makes a run. Now, there's also the argument that she's just a better horse in one-turn races. And a mile and eighth, you know, maybe she's a seven furlong to a mile type one-turn horse that's better making a big run like she did in her debut. I don't know for sure. But I don't want to completely dismiss her because her actual was pretty good. And I thought her return this year was okay. No, I agree. I, I, I've You and I have talked, uh, obviously, offline about the likelihood that a bicycle type horse is better around one turn. And, you know, I still wonder, especially given the competition in there, if you project off of her debut routine improvement, if that might not have been one of her better races yet, especially the way she broke and, and how much ground she spotted to that field. And she beat a horse like Positano Sunset. Granted, it was early in their respective careers, but she turned out to be a very, very nice horse. So Yeah, I mean, I just, I'm not, listen, I think she's at best the third likeliest winner here, but I don't think, I think she's an interesting horse in this race. And I'm also not going to be surprised when she runs lousy, you know, but I like the fact that she's in here because I do think that she has the potential to be a player in this race. Any, any consideration given to Defining Purpose, who other than last time in the Cotillion, really has run well in the majority of her races in, uh, in 2023, especially ones on dry racetracks. Yeah, I, I don't think she's impossible in here. Um, having said that, when she's been effective, she's had fairly soft trips. And even the Alabama, it's not, I mean, okay, she's chasing randomized, and she didn't have an easy trip, but she's been able to have anything to go the wrong way. So how's this going to work out? She's going to chase on the outside, outside of Zajara, and an undervalued asset. She's going to put away Zajara, and she's going to hold off a Colt. Not with my money, she's not. Yeah, as, as you... As you... Those compound it sounds less and less likely, but she is a pretty hard knocking filly who I'm sure yeah. another graded stake out there with her name on it already a grade one winner. And this is obviously that that underscores the quality of this race with uh, yeah of graded stake dirt winners in it already. And uh, looks like it's really going to benefit from the repositioning on the calendar. That's the mother goose, the third leg in the pick six sequence. Let's go on to race number nine, the Awad on the uh, inner turf course. At a mile and a sixteenth, where a maiden number eight spirit prince is going to be a pretty heavy favorite here for Christophe Clement, but you have a bit of a stranger that's uh, caught your eye a bit as well. well. Well, spirit prince is about as likely a winner as there is in the sequence, and I think you probably want to ask yourself, you know, let's just say you're looking at doubling your ticket, whether it's a pick five or a pick six, or however you're playing. I mean, you and I play multiple tickets, so we're never doubling really our tickets. We're playing, you know, multiple tickets. Would you like in redistricting redistricting's race Rambling Rack as a backup, or would you take your chances with him? And do you want a backup to Spirit Prince? I'm not sure the answer, but I think Innate is a very dangerous horse in here. Um, the horse that finished third to him, whose name I won't try to pronounce, came back and won a Group Two. 
was second in a group one. Now, maybe that horse just improved. On the other hand, he did beat him, you know? And he beat him fairly convincingly in there. Now, I know it wasn't a race came up fast. Do I really care how fast his 6 4 long debut was at Ferry House in July? I'm not sure what to make of this horse. But I thought he ran pretty well that day, to be honest with you. And given how well the third horse has run, I don't want to be overly dismissive of him. I don't see the rest of them winning here. You know, twirling points, probably not getting the lead. And I don't have any proof that that horse is very good. And I think Spirit Prince will beat him. But Innate is such a wild card that I kind of want to use him. I put him on top just to have him as a point of discussion. I'm not against Spirit Prince. I'm not an idiot. Not that big of an idiot. <laughs> Spirit Prince, who, of course, was entered in a maiden race as well and uh, ends up going here. I, I don't, you know, I, I was surprised to see that Twirling Point was able to use Lasix last time and, and realized that it was because it was at Woodbine. Um, uh, he's a horse, obviously, with a, with a very strong turf pedigree. <laughs> who didn't do much running at Kentucky Downs on debut. Again, as you mentioned, looks unlikely for him to get the lead. Of course, it's going to take a lot of money in here that I wanted to at least touch on with you is move to gold. I do not think the race that move to gold is coming out of was very good. I think he ran very well in the race he was in, but I think I'm afraid it may have just been a sucko field. Yeah, I has now come back and run a bad third in a two life at Churchill and his buyer's figure went down three points and right. he came back today and he'll finish any second. There's nothing to suggest that buyer figure is wrong or those horses are better than it. The only thing you hope if you like him is that, you know, it was Kentucky Downs his first start. He had a lousy trip. He could run better, but he better run a lot better. If he's going to beat spirit Prince. And to me, Nate is the only horse that at least we don't know that he couldn't be a better horse. And like I said, Six furlongs at Ferry House in July. I'm not going to get overly concerned with the fact that his time form number is not very high. Yeah, a little, little stranger danger there with an eight, no doubt about it. And he should get some pace to run out as well as the main alternative to the heavy favorites. Well, not so. What's that? I don't know he's going to be fast enough in this race, but he wasn't a horse that came out the back, back in that race. He was forward. Yes, agreed. On to race number 10, the 49er, which is the... Uh, clear prep for the Cigar Mile, which will come up in early December. We have the quasi-defending champ of this race um, in Double Crown, who's uh, going postward again. But obviously the, the three runners in, in post positions two, three, and four are going to garner most of the attention wagering-wise. For those of you who aren't aware and are listening to this, Film Star will run here. He will not run in the Fayette on Saturday afternoon at Keeneland. David Aragona made accretive the favorite of those three um, I wonder if the public is going to latch on to ever so mischievous a little bit with Brad Cox's numbers and with this horse's record. But Accretive's record is pretty damn good also. This is a fun race. I agree. I, I was talking about that with David today about who we thought would be a favorite. He wasn't He wasn't firm in his feeling. I mean, I, When I, you I, go 2-1, to 5-2, to two and 3-1, to one, you have no conviction. Even a horrible morning line maker like me knows that. By the way, because of one irresponsible handicapper in DRF, the consensus pick in the DRF box is double crown. Well, unfortunately, you'll only get about a third of the price that you got on him last year. At least the Henry Neville Furster isn't the consensus pick, though he is in the box. Because the biggest score of 2020 was when Neville and, won the first race with the first time starter. I think he's winning the third of mile 316s. Uh, that's our, I think that I, I'm going to ever so mischievous is going to beat me. I mean, at some point, you're going to have to take some stand somewhere in the Maltese because it could be pretty chalky. You know, I mean, 
the favorites in the, the Mother Goose, the first two choices are very logical, could very easily be short-priced horses winning the, the races around that. So you're going to have to do something. And while I think Accretive can win, and I picked him second, I'm not sure why I'm not supposed to like a Dr. Ardito. There's going to be pace for him to run at here. His good races are, fa are, are fast enough to win. I'm not going to hold his race at parks against him. He's run well enough. I thought he overcame a track that was somewhat kind inside runners when he won up in Saratoga and the Evan Shipman. Listen, Filmstar ran well last time. I'm not going to completely be dismissive of him. Is he probably better in the two-turn mile and eighth races? Yes, I do think he is. But he's in great form, so I would use three, four, five here. I don't. I, I'm just going to bet against ever so mischievous. How about you? Or are you going with the DRF consensus pick? I think I'll I think I'll opt elsewhere. Um, I think I can I can safely find an alternative to double crown. My ever so mischievous problem was that two races in a row now, and I understand he was game in, in holding on two back. He said he stalked a very slow pace in that race, and Kate Trafalgar is not very good. And the field to be fair, and Ford Pack ran okay in the subsequent race. He did, he did. The field he beat last time Ugh. looked very weak. Ugh. I mean, it was it was he not. Pleased. But it was a bad field. Yeah. Um, and look, he did what he was supposed to do. He beat them like a drum. But tacking on a furlong with real horses in here like a creative and film star, um, at least to keep him company early, I think this is a big ask for him. This what is about Swiftshire? Isn't Swiftshire gone? Oh, no. I mean, it's from a pace perspective for sure. Yeah, I was thinking quality-wise. The main rivals are the three, four, and five. Um, I, I Like you, I felt like Dr. Ardito was the interesting horse price-wise. You don't want to hold the uh, – the poor effort at parks against him. It's one of those where he ran so badly that you, to me, I feel more comfortable throwing it out. Yeah. And, and Chad wouldn't run it back if that was a true indication. Just right, exactly. And, and I mean, I'm sure the, you know, the long-term plan obviously is to give him as many chances over the winter against New York Reds as possible, but you've got to start him somewhere. He's also a horse that's not exactly screaming out for much more than a mile anyway, but a mile really is his game. And yeah. He's that, and the best price of the contenders. Exactly. That was exactly. Well, right. But I just felt like he was that surprise. Yeah, and he'll also get some pace to run out. I mean, it feels like it would have to take something, something pretty serious to keep this pace from at least being solid. I'm not going to go out on a limb and say it'll be fast, but it should at the very least be solid because you've got three horses in there that want to be forward and are going to force this thing along. So I would assume that you'll get a you'll get a pretty honestly run race. Good edition of the 49er, which goes as race number ten. The nightcap is a turf sprint. At six furlongs on the inner, you have a couple of horses in here cutting back. That uh, isn't really my cup of tea, but uh, a pretty contentious race all, all, all in all. Um, two questions for you. First and foremost, anybody from the September 21st race strike your fancy? There are a lot of runners in here. I think the public is going to pay attention to the fact that Queen of the Mud, the winner of that race, came right back and won next time out, getting an 88 buyer figure at Keeneland. And if not any of those, then who? Well... If you want to be critical of a Jose Ortiz ride, I would be critical as one on Oolong High because I don't know what got into his brain that he thought he should rate her in that race, especially in a relatively moderate pace. So she'll probably be more forward in here. I don't know if it really matters. Um, I, I, I might be wrong, but I thought that Nixt is the one you want out of that race. That's I know she saved ground and angled out, but I thought she got blind switch trying to move top of the stretch. And to me, off the long layoff, that had every look of a prep to me. Yeah, yeah. There was no setup for her that day at all. I mean, trouble tr taking the trouble and shelving it for just a second, she got no pace to run at whatsoever. Right. right, and that race was totally dominated forward. 
I mean, they came home 22 and four. What exactly was she supposed to do in that race? So I prefer her. And of the turnbacks, I like LeBeau because Clement wins with turnbacks. Yeah. So more so than Riviere. Both of them kind of had the run of the race last time, though, because that was a time when I think the inner was was barely kind inside horses. And, he, and not so not not in a million years read very well, but he also saved Brad until a stretch, to be fair. So, I, agree. I still wonder I still wonder why Riviere has not really run as well as he did in his debut when she was she was I should say she when she was wide the entire way on Belmont weekend. She ran very well that day. Very well. She's not run that well again. I Maybe agree. Wrong spots or had the wrong race flow, but either way, she's definitely not lived up to what I expected. I didn't really care much for Material Witness, who I felt like just ran in place last time, though it is worth noting it feels like Rob Atrus's barn is gradually heating up. Yeah, I agree. His barn has gotten much hotter, but um, I'm just not really sure I'm a big fan of that horse. Well, following you on the show is going to be Marshall Graham, who's Philly Jolly Miss Jill, won today and was claimed by Rob Atris in a nine-way shake. So Rob is definitely on. Uh, he must be really upset she got claimed because he probably thought he'd keep her. I think he wrote out a thank you card already. Yeah. Um, she actually read pretty well today. The pace was a lot faster than you ever thought it would be. She did, yeah. They, they definitely had her spotted at the right level, no doubt about it. Yeah. Um, As are sources of Oolong High is one that you'll you'll try and find a way to squeeze onto there. Well, I can use her a little bit. She's just not really a winning type. But I do think at least Katie will have her in front. I can't imagine Mark is going to want to have her rated again because she's just not that kind of horse. She does seem to have a bit of a stamina issue, though. Yeah, it does feel that way also. Um, I, I'm in complete agreement. Well, that is a look at the pick six sequence. Anything else you want to tack on to this? Uh, are you also on the Neville Henry Furster in, in race number three? You know, I, I'm not. Um, I am going to give up the game if the horse wins. So people who want that to happen can, can be rooting for that. But uh, no, I won't be on that. There's a, there's a horse on, on the paper on paper in that race. It's an absolute cinch. Well, Tonight, that, horse, that, horse, that horse ran giant last time. This horse is a Normandy invasion. <laughs> the most embarrassing pick I think I've ever seen by anybody who does public handicapping. <laughs> oh, dear. That's great. That's great. I mean, it's shameless to think that there's some one, even if there's one person that would bet $2 on your opinion on a horse like that. Yeah. You know, it's not a public handicapper's job to stab and try and find big prices and then pump pound their chest when they do. It's, it's just not a, not a thing that you, uh, that you would, was Tariko very wide at Kentucky Downs. No, it's a, that's 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 one of my favorite Kentucky Downs calls. That horse was glued to the rail until it angled out around the three sixteenth eighth pole and was in the three or four path. But that horse was glued to the rail the entire race. They did that a lot at this point. Didn't matter. They did it a lot, and you know, Shark is the equivalent of picking Henry Neville um, firsters in mile three sixteenths made special weight turf races. Yeah, that's no disrespect, Henry, but that's a yeah. No, there's a lot of there's a lot of subpar char calling going on out there. I've commented on the Southern California char caller who, if a horse gets a straw in their path, the comment line needs something. They like trouble. They like this horrible trip. Yeah, all those things. Yeah, yeah the char callers in New York do, for the most part, an exceptional job. Um, at least they're trying to do the right thing. You know. Agreed. Uh, but a lot of listen, it's a thankless job. I understand, but you know. One that you would hope for the proper amount of work would go into it to try and, and put out accurate information. No doubt about it. Well, Andy, big thank you. Uh, we really appreciate you coming on and joining me. Of course, you'll be on the air on uh, Saturday 
Fox Sports 2, I would guess, if anything. I, I Wherever we're on, I'm on uh, the first half of the show. I'm on with Rajiv. We got Rajiv this week. Oh, Rajiv, exactly right. Oh, you know what? I forgot that Sunday is Showcase Day, too. I was just opening up the overnight now. I'm sure you're yes. working. Oh, I'm extremely excited about Showcase Day. Extremely. I'll tell you what, the fields for Showcase Day actually turned out a lot better than they normally do. I well, wasn't I love Showcase Day. Oh, All God, of them. I have to lose money on Spongy again. Uh, I picked her. You have a lot of guests. Why don't, why don't we go? All right. Later on. Thank you, my friend. Appreciate it. And we're going to keep the show going right now. We're very excited to be partnered with the New York Racing Association for the remainder of 2023, where we will feature Saturday racing coverage each week on the Players Podcast, as well as daily write-ups and analysis at InTheMoneyPodcast.com. Also, be sure to look out for our picks on the Naira.com website under the Picks, Plays, and Promotions page. Lastly, make sure you don't miss America's Day at the Races coverage across the Fox family of networks. For a full schedule of coverage, please visit InTheMoneyPodcast.com slash TV. Next up, we head towards the bluegrass of Kentucky and take a look at Keeneland Saturday action. The late pick five in particular, we've got three stakes races in this sequence. And the first of two Breeders' Cup betting challenge champions joining me for this segment, Marshall Graham, is here with us. Marshall, I asked Drew this numerous times, and I know his answer because it's always flight line. Which replay from 2020 have you watched more, Monomoy Girl winning the distaff or Authentic winning the Classic? You know, I don't really watch either replay that much, oddly enough, right? So I, I guess probably I've watched them the same. I've not watched them in years, and I, I didn't. I don't watch them as much as you would think, right? Um, in some ways, in 2018, when I had a good run, uh, when Gunavera finished second to Accelerate, I think I watched that more. But um, but yeah, it's odd. I, I, you would think that I would try to relive those moments over and over again. I think they were both sort of huge reliefs because Montemore Girl – you know, I thought was a cinch and and really looked like she might get beaten late. And then, you know, Authentic had a great, great trip early and you were just praying he held on. So, um, uh, you know, again, both are close to my heart and uh, but uh, not replays I've, I've watched in a couple of years. You know, it's funny. We, we sat together for the 2018 Breeders' Cup and you finished uh, in the top 10 in the BCB. Finished fifth. Fifth, right. So and I, I think I finished 11th, 10th or 11th, something like that. And uh, I've actually watched those races and I watched the majority of those races standing on the balcony uh, where we were sitting at Churchill. I've watched those races very sparingly over the years. And, and I, I think I watched the enable stretch drive, especially in the, uh, the turf more often than anything else, mainly to remind myself that they were like 15 pats off the rail, which was mm-hmm. kind of the, the amazing thing about that. I, I magical was the horse that she was holding off. I think the other race from that entire weekend I've watched the most is city of light wiring the dirt mile. And of course your uncle who will join us at the breeders cup next week was able to hit the pick five on a $27 ticket there for about, uh, about five dimes, which was one of the highlights for me, especially before placing in the breeders cup. Yeah. And that was wild because he was alive to three horses on a $27 ticket. So it was, it was a hell of a ticket construction. Didn't even have a sweat too down the nope, stretch. Those nope, the not, sweats, not right? at all. Right, nothing like being able to put the whip away at the quarter pole. Well, let's hope that we can get a sequence. Maybe that'll pay half that. Who knows, though? It is a deep and competitive one that begins in race number six, which is the Bowman Mill at six furlongs. Um, I promise not to read any mean tweets about morning lines. I will certainly mock my own morning lines whenever I need to. I made the one Normandy hero, the morning line favorite here, just because he was victorious breaking from the rail last time out in a one other than that also uh, included Valentine Candy, who is number two in this field. I mean, isn't Normandy hero like 
very much the horse to beat? I think so. I think so. And I think, I think, um, you know, I thought he ran the better race last time getting behind, sitting behind the horses and moving up the rail. And I don't see why that doesn't happen this time. And why won't Royal Slipper come up and, and engage Valentine Candy and Normandy Hero again, should sit right behind them. Um, maybe, maybe this time get the track to the outside and, 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 and pull away. So, you know, I like the horse. I also think that, that the betting could be close here. It wouldn't shock me if Valentine Candy were favored given that, uh, that he was shorter in the last spot, but you know, I think you're going to get a fair price of Normandy hero. So, you know, I, I I'm going to use Normandy hero. Uh, I'm going to be against Valentine Candy and Royal slipper. The only horse that I'm going to sort of throw in there as a, uh, as a horse to use a little bit of my tickets is, uh, uh, Tyler's tribe. I mean, um, Glenn Gary, this year's Tyler's tribe, this year's Iowa bred, who was really impressive in the Iowa cradle. I mean, again, the, the, they were running Iowa, Iowa bred races that day. Uh, he's much, was much faster than the, than the Phillies division, but those Phillies might be horrible, but it was really visually impressive. He finished uh, really quickly and just a hair above 12 seconds. I think there's a chance that he gets a good trip outside of all these horses. And, you know, if he's something, uh, you know, maybe you have him on your tickets and, and I do agree with your price here. He should be, you know, a decent price, but, but I like the one I like Normandy hero. Yeah, I thought he was very much the horse to beat. Royal Slipper, who you mentioned, is a filly uh, who's facing males in here, despite there being a sprint race for fillies on Friday, uh, the Myrtlewood. And uh, Wesley Ward just sometimes does things like this, and we'll see how she performs. She was a very impressive debut winner. One horse that I thought was a little bit interesting here, and, and I will admit I'm a, I'm a sucker for cutbacks, but I thought Patriot Spirit might be an interesting cutback. He set a breakneck pace in the Iroquois, and, and it took its toll in the stretch as he he capitulated turning for home um, just might be more effective sitting a little bit off the pace sprinting. So I thought he was maybe worthy of a little bit of consideration. The son of constitution out of the nice race, mere mystical plan. Did you give him any, any thought? Uh, I mean, yeah, again, I, I, I see, I see your case for him. I think that the colonial race is pretty good, but I, I, I again, tend to be against these colonial horses. So I'm not going to use him. Um, but, uh, but I see the case for it. No doubt from a speed figure perspective, Normandy Hero, very much the horse to beat. That is the first leg, race number six. Let's go on to race seven, which also kicks off the late pick four at seven furlongs on the main track. And we've got a a pretty deep and competitive group going postward in here. Uh, One horse in Dr. Oscar coming out of the Phoenix, as well as the eight top gunner. Neither of them did much running in there. You've got the veteran Caddo River coming out of the Akak. Same can be said for Obezos, who I thought uh, probably when all is said and done, would end up going off uh, among the favorites, if not the favorite. Oh, no, I made him 10 to 1. Jeez, that was not smart. Oh, jeez, uh, that's no good. No one to find that out here on the show. Although I made, <laughs> I made Traeger the favorite at 3 to 1, and he is coming off a fast race at Santa Anita, but off a layoff. Yeah, I mean, I this, I think, is a pretty tough race. A lot of horses I hate in this race, right? I mean, I feel like I've always been wrong on chasing time. He's always beaten me when I've been against him. Um uh, and, and I just don't know, again, I don't know ultimately how good he is, but he always picks the wrong time to jump up and, and beat me. And, um, you know, I'm tired of Caddo river and, uh, Obesos is a horse that, uh, that I've always thought, uh, you know, a little bit over bet and, and not all that good. And, and I'm not going to use him here. I could see him, um, you know, you can make excuse for both, both, both of his starts this year. He hasn't had anything to run into and he's finished um with a lot of enthusiasm but but i'm against him here i'm gonna i'm going to use the favorite uh i'm gonna use a couple horses here i'm gonna use the favorite in 
in part uh, this Tra- Traegar, is that how you say it? Traegar, yeah, that's what I'm going with. Yeah, I mean, he's off this long layoff. He's got good numbers, and you can almost look at this like a three-year-old turning four. Year, turning four. I know he races an early four-year-old, um, but uh, but he's fast. Um, he's beaten some good horses and, and, and been competitive um, out west. And, uh, you know, with any sort of improvement, ought to beat this field. I thought a couple others were interesting. Um, I thought Pro-Occident for Eddie Keneally. Um, you know, I, I, I don't know what to make of these Charlestown races. I think you had to be very close to the lead. Uh, some some horses didn't quite handle the configuration. But otherwise, outside of that, he's a 3 other than winner. Um, you know, he's been sort of consistent, uh, you know, basically worked his way a other than two other than three other than is a fast horse. Um, and I like him in this spot and it'll be a decent price. And the other one, you know, a little bit of a stab is this surly furious who's got good dirt numbers. Um, really the one bad race is on in the Knicks go probably on a rail that wasn't good, um, up early, uh, in a race that, that, you know, probably didn't have much of a chance to win anyway. And so the dirt numbers are good. More of a synth horse. Again, one is 6'11 on synth, but the dirt figures are competitive and, and also sort of interesting on a little bit of a, um, a cutback on, in his dirt races. His last race, a synthetic race, this, this $50,000 handicap is actually a pretty good race. And those horses have come back and, and, uh, and, and done well. So, um, so those are the three I'm going with. I'm going with the two, five, and seven. That is leg number two, race seven. Let's go to race eight, the Bryan Station, a grade three at a mile on turf. And one of the things we've seen as the summer uh, turned into the fall is that this group of three-year-old turf horses among the males is very good. And one of the ones that really caught my eye with his uh, his just visually striking performance in the Jefferson Cup was More Than Looks. More Than Looks was actually pre-entered in the Breeders' Cup mile. So I am not certain where he's going. But if he's going here, he's the horse to beat. Yeah, I don't, I don't have any any argument with that. I think he's a, a stone-cold single if this is where he shows up. Yeah, I would say Talk of the Nation will probably be the the clear second choice. Um, he'll, he has maybe a, a, a slight pace edge, but it feels like there's enough speed in here to set the table for the likes of uh, More Than Looks, who does his best running from the back. Most stash has continuously shown speed, so has Runaway Storm, and uh, you would think the Talk of the Nation will be forwardly placed Smoky Mandate was forwardly placed last time as well and actually ran very well. Um, there's an argument to be made that, that Smoky Mandate ran his best career race by far and um, it has done so now two races in a row, especially with those ascending speed figures. But that more than looks final quarter mile was just very, very strong. And this is a horse who had uh, had put everybody on notice after the Manila that he was steadily improving, came back with a good effort in the Hall of Fame. And uh, I would imagine he'll put forth the same kind of effort here. Anybody else at a price you'd be using there? Is it just no, a, just not, not really. I just think he's that much faster than these and I'm not going to be cute um, in this race. Uh, and so I'm just, you know, if I were playing the pick five, I'd probably just use him and move on. He's just, again, should be a few lengths faster than these, um, you know, doesn't have to be as far back as he's been in these other races, but, but should really kick on strong and should win. And, and I think, um, you know, I think we'll 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 favor the Keeneland Turf course. Uh, you know, probably a little more, probably a little more firm than he had at Saratoga when he ran third. So, um, so he's he's my pick. I, I would quickly turn the page on this race. Yeah, there was about an hour where the turf was firm at Saratoga this meet. On to race nine, the Fayette at a mile and an eighth on the main track. You can scratch the one film star who will go in Saturday's Forty Nine er at Aqueduct instead of this race, and that leaves us with a really 
really big, wide-open, competitive field. I made a 9-2 to two favorite in the 10 trademark, who I thought ran extremely well in the Lucas Classic last time out, and really in many ways has not run a bad dirt race since the Ben Ally earlier this year at Keeneland. Um, he has quietly been a consistent, uh, solid horse, and I thought would be one of the major players in here, as would be number nine, O'Connor, who did make up some ground in the Woodward when probably given a little bit too much to do, falling 16 lengths off the pace in there. Where did you land in this Fayette? I thought this is really tough. I went with uh, Il Maracolo. Uh, you know, this horse has always been underappreciated. The, the betters don't never like this horse. It's 25 to 1 on PA Derby Day. I thought it ran a credible race. Had a little bit of, bit of trouble. Finished third. Was was wide the whole way. Um, was you know it, it was fifteen to one when it finished second uh, to Scotland in the Curling, and, and more importantly beat Blazing Sevens that race. So really since the the Belmont debacle has come back and 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 really run well. I know the horse has had a long campaign, but seems in fine form. Um, and again, a horse that's often overlooked, but is is quite fast on the numbers. Whether you're looking at um, you know these buyer speed figures since the Belmont of 95, 98, 94, or the time form numbers in the 120s. Um, you know, he's the horse that I'm going to lean on here. I don't really know, and I was curious to get your take on what to do about the allowance race that a bunch of these horses come out of at uh, at Churchill on September 28th. You get Dash Attack, Twilight Blue, and King Fury in a five-horse allowance race that had a really big figure and just looking at the clock on the day was very fast. So I mean, they, they you know, the, the number is con- the the speed figure was consistent with how fast the race was. I'm dubious of how fast that time was and how fast the number is. I, I don't I don't know what to do with those horses. But um, and if you take that number at face value, those horses all have a real shot. Yeah, I mean, it seems like the classic case where the buyer figure is inflated because the pace was slow, and um, it feels like Twilight Blue probably benefited from that as much as anybody. Um, Twilight Blue and Dash Attack, of course, because um, they did go a very slow opening quarter. They sped it up quite a bit after that, but a lot of times with these these distance horses, if you uh, allow them to establish a moderate pace early, it will definitely carry over pole to pole. And it just, you know, to me, the horse you wanted to take out of there was King Fury because it felt like uh, he probably did the most work against the grain of the race, but. It, I'm not going to argue with anybody who says, look, I'm going to chuck all those horses. I don't want any part of any of them. And I'm going to let them take more money than they should because of that maybe inflated speed figure. Those horses to me and best actor were the ones that in a way sort of killed the takeout in this race, because I don't really like any of them. And I think they set the table for the, the more legitimate horses like Il Miracolo and trademark who, you know, were my, my two main types in here. Um, Cause I think they'll, they'll do, a lot in terms of the betting to really skew things quite a bit. And uh, I could even find myself including the two happy American who got a great ride in the Stephen Foster to be third at 48 to one and ended up just lagging way too far behind last time. He's going to have to get cajoled along a little bit early by James Graham to not lose so much ground, but you know, he'll come with that good late bid. And um, even without the, the one film star, I think the pace in here should definitely be quick enough to set the table for a late, late runner. Yeah, I don't. Uh, Happy American, such a strange horse, right? You don't see many deep closing um, routers like he is, and you know when he gets the job done, it's it's pretty exciting. But it's a it's a long time between between successes. I sort of agree with you on that um, on that allowance race, and in, in that the most interesting horse from it is King Fury. Uh, I, you know, I probably won't use him, but I do think that you know if you can take that number anywhere in your face value, maybe he's finally getting back in the form. 
and and we know that his three-year-old form is actually quite good. So if somehow, you know, second off the layoff, uh, returning to maybe his good three-year-old form, that he can jump up and, and win at a big price. But I'm with you on the seven and ten primarily. Maybe I'll maybe I'll sprinkle in a little King Fury um, because of the number. This race, of course, will take place a couple of hours after the human King Fury fights Francis Ngannou in uh, Saudi Arabia. Did you were, were you aware of that? Or are you big? Are you staying on top of uh, of Tyson Fury's fight schedule? Uh, I am. I am not. I am not. I, I I will excuse you for that. On to the nightcap, which is a maiden special weight event at a mile and a sixteenth on the turf for two year olds. This is a race that. Uh, not surprisingly, doesn't have a tremendous amount of turf form. Um, but I will say that of the horses that have run on the turf, I think you're going to get quite a bit of support for uh, Vivaldi, Mo Caliente, and Active Mutiny, all of whom ran well at Kentucky Downs, with Active Mutiny probably running the best of those. And Shug McGahee's barn in Kentucky has been very solid this meet and throughout 2023. Yeah, um, uh, Active Mutiny's race at Kentucky Downs has had four next stat winners, including one of them committee of one being a stakes winner. Uh, and, and so, you know, that, that horse looks like it'll take money and will be the horse to beat. Um, I'm probably a little bit against Vivaldi, even though three horses have come back out of that race to win. Um, I'm going to, you know, if I were playing the pick five, I'd probably use a bunch of these and I would probably sort of have my, my top selections be active mutiny. I kind of like Domingo, uh, the first time started for Brendan, Ben Walsh. Uh, this mare thundering Amelia has thrown a lot of early runners, including Helium, who is on the Derby Trail, won the Tampa Bay Derby, also won first out, um, albeit on the synthetic, and had another horse, Amelia Moon, that was a um, an early winner and then a, a, a first time out starter, first time out winner, and also a Grade One winner in Peru. I think she's had uh, six first times six of her six starters, five of one first time out, and uh, another one second time out. So, um, so, you know, I don't know. It's a little bit of a stab. Uh, Brendan Walsh's horses that run on turf tend to train at Turfway Park. So I, I wouldn't view that as a negative. I wouldn't necessarily view Declan Cannon being on as a negative. They've had some success together. So um, American Pharaoh, no reason this horse couldn't be good first time out going along on the turf um, at a little bit of a price. I think that makes perfect sense. Uh... I thought the angle on Vivaldi was this horse ended up with a wide trip last time out. That was one of the days at Kentucky Downs where you wanted to be inside. But, you know, these horses take a lot of money, and this is still a Calumet homebred. Yeah. It's really hard to embrace those. I mean, God bless them. They're still they're still going strong at Calumet, but those are not – those are generally not horses that are competitive at the top level. Um, we'll see how much uh, – how well this one performs. I guess the one Tricari could take some money as well, an Oscar performance firster who went for no money whatsoever at auction and yet somehow ended up with the owner of uh, Oscar performance. The dam was a three-time turf winner. This horse looks to be training well too. I mean, I guess he drew favorably on the inside as well. Not really grand motions thing to win going long first out. Yeah. Weirdly, I think of Oscar performance as a dirt sire. So, um, so again, you know, that in, in the sort of motion angle and thinking in a way this horse might get over bet. Well, it's 15 to one. So I, I, I take that 15 to one morning line and you're probably right. Um, but, uh, but I'm against, I'm, I'm probably against that horse. I've, I've got my firster with Domingo. So, um, so I'm going to, I'm going to take my stand there. Yeah. I don't, I don't think you can, uh, you can trust that morning line very much, but uh, <laughs> dude, uh, he's, he's a, he's a nice guy, the morning line maker. That's all I can say. It's funny you say that about Oscar performance because it really is true. The majority of his top earners are dirt horses. 
you you and I were actually talking about this the other night. And I mean, now that I actually look at the at the info and the data, it is it is pretty amazing. His three top earners at this point are Red Carpet Ready, Tumbarumba, and Deer District, and they're all one of them is Grade Two placed, one of them is a stake winner, the other is a Grade Two winner, and uh, they're all dirt horses. It really is amazing. Yeah, breeding is such a funny thing. Being a being a kitten's joy, it's just it's really hard to believe that he'd be successful. Um, this successful as a dirt tire. You'd, you'd think they wouldn't be able to stand up, right? He's a kitten's joy out of a theatrical mare of all things. And yet they really seem to run on dirt and they really seem to prefer dirt. Uh, and so we'll see if that carries on. And obviously he's probably gotten a lot of turfy mares. He's, he's probably going to get better mares as we move forward and maybe more dirt oriented mares. I'm very interested to see in his stallion career. I know that Millridge is a big sponsor of the, in the money, um, in the money podcasts overall. So I'm glad to see them have success and uh, boy, I'd love a chance to breed to them. You know, the, the cross that seems to have worked a couple of times, at least with red carpet ready and Tumbarumba is a street sense mare. So maybe that dirt influence is what has, uh, has done it a little bit also, but uh, yeah, I mean the, the damn side on Oscar performance was, I mean, he's a half to Oscar nominated award winner. Those are just all turf horses. It yeah. is funny. The breeding game is one that, uh, that can definitely surprise you. Well, that is a look at the Keeneland late pick five sequence. Marshall, thanks so much. I know you will find yourself over the weekend in the thick of breeders cup preparations as you bid to become the first two time breeders cup betting challenge winner. No, I think there's been a two time winner. Yes. Didn't. Oh, yeah. No, you're right. Yeah. Uh, Magoey won it twice. Yeah. Yeah, 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 right. Back-to-back years. Yeah, so I'd, I'd, anyway, I'd love to win it the second time. Winning it the first time was great, and I feel like I have to validate, prove that it wasn't luck. But uh, we'll see. It'd be, be a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to hanging out um, next week at Santa Anita. I haven't been to the Breeders' Cup since 2019, and um, I'm really looking forward to it. Very much so. Well, we uh, always look forward to having you on here, and a big thank you, and we're going to keep this thing rolling. Coming up in early December, the Racetrack Industry Program's annual symposium taking place in Tucson at the University of Arizona, where we have a couple of panels we want to highlight and draw your attention to at this point. The Embracing Change, Are We Ready to Adopt Category 1 Rules in the U.S. panel will include Scott Cheney, Executive Director of the CHRB as the moderator, the Deputy Director of the Ohio State Racing Commission, Tanya Bulmetis, the Director of Racing at Remington Park, Kelly Cathy, and Kim Kelly, the chairman of the International Harmonization of Racing Rules Committee. The conflict of equity and fairness versus heightened consistency in decisions is the heart of the conundrum that surrounds the disqualification policies between categories one and two. While most international racing jurisdictions have shifted away from category two, which requires the demotion of a horse for consequential interference if the sufferer of the interference loses a placing, North America remains reluctant to embrace this global approach, which only demotes horses when the sufferer would have beaten the interferer. In the age of the growing global wagering market, it is imperative for our racing companies to revisit this issue as our domestic vendors have already embraced such practices at events like Ascot, and our new international customers are already accepting of Category 1 disqualification policies. The panel of experts will delve into the practical workings of Category 1 rules and provide insights on how to facilitate a smooth transition including steward training and effective customer communication strategies. In addition, at the RTIP Symposium, a computer-assisted wagering panel, the good, the bad, and the future. As high-frequency bettors represent north of 30% in some of our domestic wagering pools and mass market handle has contracted, discussion of this market evolution and its impacts is of growing importance. This session promises to provide a thorough presentation of the issues, benefits, and drawbacks of high-frequency betting. Attendees will hear from executives of racing associations invested in CAWs, players, and critics of how high-frequency betting has evolved. 
This panel includes major voices from all sides of the issue and should deliver food for thought regarding the practice, how blue collar horse players can coexist and a roadmap of where it is headed. Featured on the panel will be the moderator, Oliver Reeder, a reporter from the Financial Times, who did a story on this very topic earlier this year. Pat Cummings, executive director of the newly formed National Thoroughbred Alliance and unfortunately a Philadelphia sports fan. Scott Drudy, president of Monarch Content Management. Don Johnson, chief executive consultant of Quantitative Trading, LLC. Joe Longo from the New York Racing Association and Joe Wilson, the COO of Parks Racing. As promised, up next on the In the Money Players podcast, we have our second Breeders' Cup Betting Challenge champion. This is a defending one, a friend of the program, of course, and a major part of the network. Drew Coatney is here to discuss the last four races on Woodbine's Saturday card. Drew, I know before we talk about Woodbine, I'm sure your preparation is underway for the Breeders' Cup itself. As I like to tell people when they ask how prepared I am, I always tell them, Preparations A through G are complete, and we're now at Preparation H. <laughs> I've never heard that one, but uh, yeah, yeah, preparation is underway, getting excited, talking plans with all of the friends, and you know, it, it's half a reunion as well. I mean, everyone gets to go out and have dinners together and see the, the biggest stars and the best names in the industry out there, so I can't wait to get out, and uh, I'm ready, and uh, I have to admit, though, I am pulling a JK by uh, doing this in the car today, so Hopefully uh, there's no traffic violations as I'm sitting parked here. I still marvel at having done the triple crown draft with Michelle Yu and she was riding in a car. I don't think she was driving. I think she was riding and uh, she ended up beating our brains in. So it's uh, it was quite a performance on her part, um, taking Mage and a few others that, that ended up performing very well. So nothing wrong with being mobile. Well, let's get into this sequence, which begins in race number eight, it's the Frost King for Ontario Breads at six and a half furlongs on the Tapita. This will be an all Tapita sequence. The first leg is at 5.09 Eastern time. And Drew, we're going to play a little morning line roulette with you, not only because I've proven to be spectacularly terrible at making morning lines, but also because you handicapped this card before the line came out. I'm going to guess that you don't have the horse that's going to be, that's the morning line favorite in this race as your favorite. Who do you have favorite in this eighth race? I'm assuming because we have a big cross entry of Olivia Rose that is cross entered against the boys later. <clears throat> I think the boys is a weaker spot. So I think Olivia Rose is going to go over that way. And I have junior hotshot at even money if that's the case. Yeah, he's two to one on the morning line. That seems awfully high. Um, they actually have Olivia Rose at nine to five in this spot, which this is the this is the male race. Um and it does, I mean, outside of Junior Hotshot, it is, it is really not that much of a field. The the 10th, which you alluded to, is the South Ocean, which, um, again, is also for females and doesn't look like much either. So I don't think she'll go favored in here. I thought Junior Hotshot would be awfully tough. Yeah, I think she ran a smashing debut, did it well. Had finished, but was a bit of a setup with those soft early fractions. Uh, but what struck my attention is the figure earned with those slow early moves and gets Lasix today, so you know, with a fast pace and a little bit more stamina built in and Lasix on, I think junior hotshot could be a really good bet at even money. Sounds like a good value to me. Yeah. Anybody else that you're going to think about using in the pick four, I thought maybe no more options who really put things together uh, in the last couple on the turf, maybe was a little bit interesting on the cutback. I do. I will admit I'm a, I, I, I'm a big fan of cutbacks in general. <laughs> yeah. And so I'm on the two, I just looked it up. Uh, the number two, junior hot shop 
All right, so we'll stick with Junior Hotshot to get the sequence started. Second leg is race number nine at a mile and the 16th on the Tapita. One other than optional claimers. Uh, who did you think was going to be favored in here, Drew? I went with uh, Blueberry Fields at two to one. I think this horse is going to get a perfect trip in here on the leader just off of it. And the outside draw will really let the jockey dictate things to make the decision on the backstretch. Do I need to hustle up a little bit more or can I just take back and sit and press off too wide on the hip of the, the leader? So Blueberry Fields for me, two to one is the morning line or value line that I've installed here. Yes, yeah, second choice on the morning line to the one jump in Juni. I don't think there's a chance in hell that this horse is the second choice. Uh, she looked like a pretty solid favorite to me off of those speed figures. And three for her last three on the Tapita, all with that good pace stalking trip that she figures to get again. She looked like an absolute standout to me. There is some speed in here, as you mentioned, with horses stretching out. And that'll set the table for some of the later runners. I thought maybe a slight case could be made underneath for Fish Mooney, who was somewhat compromised by a slow pace last out. If you think they're going to go a little quicker early, then you could upgrade that daughter of looking at Lucky, who might just be more of a placing chance than she is a winning type in what looks like an excellent spot for Blueberry Fields. Anybody else you planned on using in the uh, in the multi-race sequence? No, I've got two singles, and I would love to see seven to two. <laughs> that would be fantastic. Yeah, I'd like to see a unicorn as well, but I don't think that will happen, um, all things considered. Uh, let's go to race 10, the South Ocean, at six and a half furlongs. On the Tapita, this is the Philly half of the Frost King, which went as race number eight. Who are you picking, and who do you think is going to be favored in here? Yeah, I, well, if Olivia Rose goes, I think Olivia Rose will take the money again. Um, and I really hope she does try and take on the boys, because I have a couple of horses I like in here. Hurricane Clear at five to one. Has had a lugging out problem after the break in the last three starts. Last out veered like six to eight paths in the first few jumps. And then really closed on well into the blue fractions to then throw in a non-finish effort at the 16th pole while staying on terms with the rest of the horses that were really trying hard. So I think there's an important note that this runner is getting blink blinkers for the first time today. And maybe that helps the forward exit out of the gates. Um, has run some subpar numbers, but I think this one could be rounding into form and I think it's an open event and a lot of horses can step up. So maybe they're still working things out with hurricane Claire. I put the line at five to one for this one, not the favorite, but five to one. Yeah. Uh, morning line maker, Jen Morrison's got her at five to two, the second choice behind Olivia Rose off of that fourth place finish in the Victoria queen. The third place finisher in there was four fifty four, who was 10 to one that day, six to one on the line here. That was an improved race on the turf. Now back to the Tapita over which she was victorious in her debut at 27 to one. There's really never been any support at the windows whatsoever for four fifty four. It felt like Olivia Rose would end up a pretty solid favorite in here. If this is where trainer Mark Cassie opts to go in large part, because even if she doesn't control the pace in terms of having the lead, I think she'll be right on the hip of Lady Wellington, and that would certainly make her job quite a bit easier. Um, didn't look like to me like there were really any other win candidates in there, right? Yeah, well, I have 454 as my second choice. I'm shocked that they have the the lines flipped because I, I thought Hurricane Claire not being able to pass 454 um, was going to be uh, play into the hands of, of what we were looking for in terms of price. So I'm shocked. I wouldn't be surprised if 454 drifts down and Hurricane Claire drifts up. But yeah, I like those two. I hope Olivia Rose runs here because I think there's some value to be had, especially if the two singles previously come in. I like it. On to the nightcap. Race number 11 is at seven furlongs on the Tapita. It will close it out. Where are we going to close this thing? Oh, a lot of considerations. Wide open event. 
I'm going to start with Humor Me Jim at 2-1. to one. Um, It looks to be the lone speed in here, but the seven furlongs is a big question mark. Will this one hold up? I don't know. The past figures are good enough, but I, I, I'm just worried about the speed and fade. So consideration, I'm not using as like a strong A or anything of that nature. Oh, wow, at 3-1 to one has some tactical speed and should be able to pick up the pieces. A little slight drop in class and then uh, KK, I trust. And then Gab's Dream Girl, guessing six to one, has some finish and runs at the same level again. No strong, compelling cases trying to spread out and just be live. Yeah, oh wow, on the outside gets that key drop from 25 down to 14, which feels like it'll be pretty influential for Norman McKnight. Seven to two on the line. Uh, Kazushi Kimura on board, steadily improving figures now into the three year old season. Humor Me Jim, as you mentioned, uh, is the morning line favorite at five to two. Sophia Viva is on board, looks to control the pace on the front end. The weight break certainly doesn't hurt either. And uh, I'd imagine this daughter of Old Forester will end up dictating terms to them. Telltale, a horse who uh, benefited from a bit of a setup last out, but did finish with some interest and does. Uh, look like she does her best running on the tapita, maybe one that could get in there for a share. But it did look to me like the principles in here from a win end were the eight and the 10 in this final leg of the Woodbine pick four sequence on Saturday afternoon. Drew, thanks so much for your uh, Woodbine expertise as usual. And we look forward to hearing a little bit more about the Breeders' Cup from you leading up to next weekend. Let's do it. Sounds like a plan. Big thanks to Drew Coatney for joining me. One more segment to go on this, one more thoroughbred segment, I should say, to go on this Friday Players Podcast. And next up on the program, we're going to turn our sights to the Far East. We've got another grade one coming up, group one, I should say, coming up on Sunday uh, over in these parts. And uh, with us, of course, to discuss it is one and only Klaus Ebner. Klaus, it's going to be a big couple of weeks in terms of Japanese racing, not only what is going to take place in Japan, but of course what could end up taking place here stateside in the uh, Breeders' Cup out at Santa Anita where we have a nice little Japanese contingent ready to roll. Yeah, it's uh, certainly exciting, Nick. Just you know, We had a podcast with, with Pete yesterday and a few others talking about the Japanese horses and you know, I think getting more and more excited for that. But yeah, you're you're right. There, there's a very exciting race this this weekend in Japan, being the Tenno Show Autumn. Uh, sorry, Autumn. Yes, uh, at uh, you know, two thousand meters or a mile and a quarter, and it sees the return of, you know, everyone's calling him the world's best horse, and we'll see how good he is on on Saturday, uh, Sunday morning in Japan, and that's Equinox, who's going to see if he can uh, beat a very very salty group of uh, fellow group of winners. Yeah, it is, of course, the return of Equinox, who global racing fans became familiar with, uh, with his big win in the Dubai Shima Classic earlier this year, where he was hailed the, the titan of the world's turf by a track announcer Larry Colmus, and he has run once since then. Um, but interestingly, in this field, the horse who actually beat him last is in this bunch, if that's if I'm not mistaken, right? That is Deuce. Yeah, yeah, Deuce. you're right. So... You know, Deduce, in my opinion, is also one of the, the top three-year-olds, uh, was one of the top three-year-olds last year, uh, as you mentioned, beat Equinox in the Tokyo Yushu in the Japanese Derby at Tokyo Racecourse. You know, he loves Tokyo, this horse, just two for two at Tokyo. And, you know, after that uh, after that win in the Derby, they had arc dreams on their mind in terms of, uh, you know, uh, being the hopefully the first horse to, to win the arc. You know, he had a race in the Preniel, finished fourth that day. You know, the, the race came up as per usual, the usual bog it is at, at uh, Longchamp when he ran in the arc. Uh, and that kind of set him sideways after that. You know, finished 19th there, uh, came back in March of this year with a very good performance in the Kyoto Kinen where he won that day uh, at Hanshin and then was entered in the Dubai turf 
and it was scratched due to sickness. So, you know, he's, he's had a lot of, you know, bad experiences leaving Japan. Uh, he's back there now. He's had a, had a great workout for this event. And, and yeah, I, I really do feel, you know, out of all the, the horses that are going to be up against Equinox, it may be his old rival getting the best of him on, on Saturday or Sunday morning. It's funny seeing these uh, these horses with American-influenced pedigrees, of which there are plenty in Japan, undoubtedly, because a horse like Deduce, whose dam was Dustin Diamonds, Dustin Diamonds was owned by uh, Satish Sanan, who was a prominent owner here in, in, in the States, uh, really for a number of years. She, he owned the, the sire of Dustin Diamonds' vindication. Dustin Diamonds produced a, a relatively nice graded state caliber sprinter named Much Better, um, and then, of course, produced Deduce who was capable of winning up to what a mile and a quarter plus on the turf. And uh, you never know what you're going to get when you, when you play the the pedigree game. Um, so it is kind of fun to see a horse with that type of pedigree. Is this mainly just a two horse race Klaus or are we, uh, do you think there's anybody else in there who could give him a scare? No, no, this is, you know, this is a stacked field in my opinion. This is probably one of the strongest, you know, great ones I've seen in a very, very long time in Japan where you can make a case for, you know, I'm going to say, we'll say nine out of the 11 horses in here. You know, you know, you do have some horses that are, you know, if you'll get back class that have a, have a, you know, in my opinion, have a, a strong shot, you know, you look at a horse like the form of Jack door. This is a, a five-year-old horse by Maurice, you know, his last two starts haven't been that great, but if you, you know, go three starts back in the Osaka high, that's also at a mile and a quarter. Uh, he was a winner that day over stars on earth. Stars on earth was another horse who was supposed to be in here. She was injured. Um, but I, you know, it, the big thing for for Jack Door that he's going to have in his favor on the weekend is just the fact that, you know, we always say speed's dangerous, and I, I feel that if they if they ride Jack Door how they used to ride Jack Door, so in the past couple of races they've kind of taken him back and removed his number one, you know, weapon, and that's speed. But you know, if they if they revert back to the tactics that they had in the uh, Osaka High, where they just put him on the front end, let him do his thing, let him roll. Or that's what that's what he enjoys doing. He's going to be a big threat in here because there's not a lot of pace in here. So, you know, despite the fact that you know Equinox and Doduce and other horses in here are obviously very talented and and amazing individuals, you know, speed can kill sometimes. And and I think that out of all the challengers, he's the one I think that you know Equinox and others have to fear because, like I said, if if you let him loose on the lead, he's going to be hard to hard to catch. And he may be gone turning for home. So, you know, he's one I think that has a big shot in here. Uh, you know, we also have another. Uh, fellow improving four-year-old in here in the form of Justin Palace. Uh, Justin Palace is winner of the uh, Grade One Tenno Show Spring, and I was at two miles uh, back in uh, you know late April. Uh, but came back, finished a respectable third. He was only beaten you know about about a length by Equinox in the last race, being the Takarazuka Keenan. So he's also one I think that you know really is uh, can, can you know have his say on, on the weekend. And then another horse for me is just an improving five-year-old. He's had a lot of issues with injuries, and that's a horse called Prognosis, who, you know, he won his last start, uh, last time out in the Sapporo Keenan, um, won that day over Top Knife by four lengths, won it easily that day, in my opinion. But, you know, if you look, look at, you know, two starts back, he uh, he finished second to Romantic Warrior in Hong Kong in the, uh, in the QE2 there uh, back in April. So, you know, I, I think he's a sneakily kind of good horse that can sneak into the back end of, of exotics. And, you know, am I saying he could beat Equinox and Doduce and Jack Dohor here? I'm not sure. But, you know, in terms of a horse on the improve as a five-year-old who's just kind of finding his form now after, you know, numerous setbacks, you know, he's he's one I'll be also be including in my tickets, uh, you know, throughout the, the verticals. 
you mentioned the pace and and I think for everybody the majority of our audience it, the all they know about Equinox is him wiring the Shima Classic was that a departure from a normal style from him or did they kind of take advantage of circumstance there in, in Dubai yeah even Christophe Lemaire at that time said you know no one was going so I, I just took what was given to me but if you look back through most of his races in Japan, including his last race in the Takarazuki Keenan, and I'm not trying to laugh about it, Nick, I'm just more just the fact that, you know, to show how much of a quality animal he is, uh, I, I think, you know, maybe, maybe it was a challenge for Christophe Lemaire to see, hey, how much of a disadvantage can I put this star horse in and see if he can overcome it? So, you know, we had him at the very back of the field uh, in 16th throughout the whole race, uh, came with a, a wide run and a rush to, to you know, just beat through seven seas by a neck. You, you again, you look, look at that form reference is really good because she came back and finished fourth in the arc uh, with a very, very good effort there that day. So, you know, um, he's usually, uh, in, in my, in, in my opinion, in terms of running style, he's going to be probably further back, but you know, he, I think in the, in Christoph's mind, he may want to be closer to the pace today. Like I said, just based on the fact that, you know, he's got to worry about a lot of horses in here, not just, you know, you know, not just have to negotiate the fact that, okay, well, there's, you know, a typical 17 runners, so I can kind of do my thing. Whereas in here with a shorter field of 11, uh, they're all monsters in here, in my opinion. So he's got to be very aware of what's going on. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. And so we've covered a few of the bases there. That goes as race number 11 on the uh, Tokyo race course program. And that again, will take place at uh, 3.40 Japan time, which you probably are going to be quicker at this than me. It's going to be about, what, two two 2.40 yep. Eastern time? You know it. Yeah, that's right, Nick. 2.40 Eastern. Um, I'll tell you, Classy, yeah. I, surprise, I surprise myself sometimes even. <laughs> all good, all good. But, yeah, no. Humble, humble brag. We'll, uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll all stay up, uh, you know, keeping the toothpicks, toothpicks and coffee ready to keep our eyes open. And, uh, yeah, it should be a, an amazing race, and, and hopefully we'll see if uh, Equinox can continue his dominance of racing around the world. Yeah, it's worth staying up, of course, to see a horse with the uh, the excitement level of Equinox. And, you know, I just say from my own experience so far, seeing the Japanese influence on the global racing has really been gratifying. And so I, I, I find myself intrigued by it more and more as time goes by. I've got a close friend who's very into it, in addition, of course, to, to you and everybody who helps us out here with the network. So I, I, I really encourage everybody to get involved and take a look at that uh, Japan card, the uh, Tokyo card, again, for Saturday night here, Sunday in the, in the Far East. Klaus, thanks so much. We're going to, of course, direct everybody to listen to that podcast where you went over the uh, Japanese contingent for the Breeders' Cup for sure. Yeah, thanks, Nick. And again, like you said, just uh, an exciting time. Um, you know, it, this, I, I think that the Japanese horses all have a shot in, in their respective races. You know, obviously, some of them will be longer prices. And who knows? You know, we may have... Uh, you know, some people have said, you know, that they may have three to three to four winners on the on the on the Breeders' Cup card, and we'll see. Again, it's a it's a pretty salty year. It's not going to shock me based on my preliminary work so far and uh, what we saw two years ago at Del Mar. So that would be no great surprise at all. Klaus, thanks again, and we will close out this uh, players' pod with a look at the buggies. Up next, Breeders' Crown coverage. It's oh, Ray Catolo here, uh, proud son of a father a child of a mother, and also the Harness Players podcast here on uh, In The Money Media. Uh, thank you guys for bringing me on the show this week to talk about uh, the crown jewel of harness racing, uh, potentially pun intended. This Friday, October 27th, and Saturday, 
October 28th. Uh, kind of the Breeders' Cup of harness racing is going to Indiana. Now, much like your Breeders' Cup for you thoroughbred folks, uh, we in the sport of harness racing said, man, we got 12 divisions of horses of different sexes and gates. And man, we need to give them several million dollars. And so this weekend at Harris Hoosier Park in Anderson, Indiana, over $5 million in purses on offer for the Breeders' Crown Championships. On Friday, October 27th, the two-year-olds spar in kind of a Future Stars Friday kind of fashion for you Breeders' Cup viewers. And then on Saturday, the three-year-olds and older horses go into competition. Uh, many of you might not be familiar with harness racing and that's okay, but I know you're familiar with some betting and are interested in some betting. Some good bets on offer for Breeders' Crown Weekend. On that Friday card with the four finals for the two-year-olds, those are races 10 through 13. How about an all-stakes pick four, $40,000 guaranteed pool in that sequence on Friday for races 10 through 13. It's a 50 cent minimum wager. Potentially a good introduction to harness racing uh, for those of you unfamiliar. Potentially some strong favorites in that sequence you might be able to lean on. Some room for you to develop some opinions on some prices that could materialize because those two-year-olds, man, <laughs> babies are whack, am I right? <laughs> they do all sorts of things like uh, not let me sleep and eat everything in my house, but that's besides the point. Saturday's card, eight finals, the last eight races on the Harrods Hoosier Park program for Saturday, all Breeders' Crown events. That's not all. They're all part of several multi-race sequences, including an all-stakes pick eight, 20 cent minimum on that pick eight, $10,000 guaranteed pool, covers every single stakes final on Saturday. Unfortunately starts with a potentially strong favorite, but again, potentially a good introduction for the thoroughbred betters uh, to learn about harness racing. And these Breeders' Crown events, boy, sometimes they look incredibly simple and they turn into pure chaos. There have been $100 winners, $200 winners. Last time the Breeders' Crown was at Harris Hoosier Park, a $400 winner. I didn't have it, but uh, the math says that someone did. And that someone might be you, but statistically speaking, it probably won't be. Uh, those eight finals not only have that pick eight, but also there is a jackpot pick six. I know it's a jackpot, but it's a multi-race sequence. Nonetheless, starting in race 10, if you're the one who can maybe have the sole winning ticket, it's all yours. There's a 50 cent pick five that starts in races 11 and goes through 15. A $40,000 guaranteed pick four for the last four races on that Saturday card. And, it's not all, a guaranteed high five pool in the finale, a guaranteed superfecta pool in race 14. Uh, so tons of money going into the pools on this championship weekend of harness racing at Harris Hoosier Park. Uh, for those who want a more in-depth look at some of these races with some of the sharpest minds in the sport of harness racing, uh, along with uh, myself and Edison Hatter, you can check out 
the In The Money Media live stream archive or recording that we did on Wednesday night. Uh, that's on the In The Money Media YouTube page. You can also check it out as a podcast. It's an all-encompassing discussion. It lasted two hours, so almost the entire runtime of the new Martin Scorsese movie that I will also be going to see in theaters um, at any moment now. But if that, for some reason, you don't want to go see that movie, but you say I have that time, first, I would say you go see that movie. And then second, I say, uh, if you can see that movie, you can, you can check out this podcast that we did uh, over on the In The Money Media Network. Uh, but, I, I mean, that's all I have to say. I can give you some quick hits before I go. I know uh, PTF, a big fan of quick hits himself. I don't know if he likes baseball. Does anyone like baseball? Uh, I, I, I don't know anymore. It was America's pastime, but now I'm just trying to pass time. I gotta hit some kind of minute mark. Uh, the Friday card, for those who just want a quick glance at uh, things that might be interesting. This is kind of a TLDR of what we talked about on the roundtable discussion that we did for In The Money Media. Uh, the Friday card, the first race, race 10, I kind of got an interesting long shot in the six chap arm bro who could be developing at the right time into this event. Seems like the way that she's been managed has been targeting this race specifically and you could get an okay price on her against some legitimate favorites in the one Soiree Hanover and the four Warwick Michelle and the two by around. I think in race 11 on that Friday, Captain Albano, solid single. Uh, I'm gonna put <laughs> my reputation on that or you're gonna put your betting dollars on that. It's probably more of that. Uh, the 12th race, the two geocentric trying to stay undefeated is nine for nine coming into this event. There's room for her to go 10 for 10, but I'm not gonna dissuade anyone who might think a horse like the nine blue Pacific or the eight my girl EJ under outstanding circumstances might be able to pull an upset because in that $40,000 guaranteed pick four, I, you're gonna wanna try and beat a horse like geocentric. I don't know if you can, but possibility exists everywhere. I mean, I don't know how a $400 horse won in this series, but he did. And then in race 13, I feel like in the battle between the two favorites, between TCI and Carl, go TCI. And then there's some interesting long shots you could possibly throw in for the exotic spots. That Saturday card has a couple of strong favorites too, like the one Jiggy Jog in the Mare Trot to open things off, and then Bond in the three-year-old Philly Trot in the race following. But I just want to remind everyone, the Breeders' Crown has crazy things happen. Horses go really fast and they get really tired. They pummel one another into the ground and then all of a sudden a third horse you didn't know was there goes by and wins. It happens time and time again. So I think, if anything, I encourage you to go and check out the round table that we did and just gleam on how you can watch harness races, figure out harness races, and listen to what we have to say and go, I don't like what these guys have to say, because then, hey, maybe you'll have the $400 horse and I won't. Uh, thanks, PTF. Uh, thanks, Nick. Uh, thanks, whoever else is on the show this week uh, for having me on uh, from the Harness Players Podcast. I gotta go back to work, and I, I know you do too. So, happy playing, good luck, and hope you have fun checking out the Breeders' Cup, the Breeders' Crown. It's the Breeders' Crown, not the Cup, at Harris Hoosier Park.
And that's going to do it for this edition of the In the Money Players podcast. Big thank you to my guests. We had Andy Serling here to talk about Naira Marshall Graham on Keeneland Saturday card. Drew Cotney to cover a little Woodbine action and Klaus Ebner north of the border to cover the Far East, the Japan Racing Association. A big thanks to Ray Catolo and everybody for their Breeders' Crown coverage. Again, the Breeders' Crown will take place tonight, Friday, October 27th, and tomorrow, Saturday, October 28th. A shout-out to my friend, the voice of Hoosier Park, Michael Chamberlain, who will be calling all the Breeders' Crown action. Looking forward to taking that all in. And, of course, we are headed for the Breeders' Cup. Stay tuned to everything going on at the network. All you In The Money Plus subscribers will get a lot of great content leading up to the start of the event itself which, of course, is on Friday, November 3rd. Again, a big thank you to all of you. Please rate, like, subscribe. This has been a production of the In The Money Media Network for the founders of the network. I'm Nick Tamaro. Until next time, best of luck.